0: Turn in the word of God this morning to First Thessalonians chapter two. We continue on in this letter. Last week, Reverend Mook preached for us, so it's two weeks since we were here. hesitate to compliment the choir this morning <laughs> on the basis of what we preached last time when we were here, dealing with flattering words. But I was very encouraged by the choir this morning. It was, it was good to, for the soul. My heart was lifted heavenwards, and that's always what you want. You want minister to. Of course, someone else was saying, when I preached two weeks ago from verses 5 and 6. They they said, I was going to tell you it's the best sermon I've ever heard, but then you you basically were forbidding me from saying that. So, (laughs) of course, they were joking. Um, But we do need to be careful with our words, which is our motives. What's the motive behind your words? I flatter the choir to get favor with the members of the choir and the musicians are sincerely just to commend them for their work, and we trust it's the latter. So let's read this chapter. We'll take time again to read the opening twelve verses, which really form a section. So let's read from verse one. Let us hear the living word of God may it come with life to us this morning, even as we read it. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. But as we were allowed of God, we put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse. Cherisheth with their children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labour and travail. For labouring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably. We behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word, his living word to our hearts. Let's still our hearts before him in prayer momentarily. Let's all seek the Lord. Our Father, we're thankful for the various aspects of any given worship service that do our hearts good. We're thankful for the blessing of prayer, the blessing of the reading of the Word, the blessing even of singing together and songs that lift our hearts to rejoice in Thy great salvation. Ever keep us tender make our hearts to be sensitive. We pray that thou wilt make us men and women and young people that are easy to be blessed. That we don't come hard and callous. We don't come to worship with an indifferent and critical spirit, but we come with a heart that's open and ready to be blessed. Lord, we pray that thou wilt ever help us with this because we, we need help. It's easy to come and just go through the motions. We pray that Thou wilt deliver us from this. That we worship God with the lips only, with the mouth. but Our hearts are far from Thee, God, spare us. We pray even now as the Word is considered, as we meditate therein, that Thou wilt lead and guide and apply the Word and instruct from the Holy Scriptures, each of our hearts, that we may again be helped, helped in Thy great purpose for us, that we would become more like Thy Son. So use Thy Word to edify and feed Thy flock. And for those that are still uncertain where they stand, or those who stand in rebellion, in unbelief, and will not commit their hearts to Christ, we pray that Thou wilt work in them this day. Bring the grace and mercy and ministry of conviction. and May there be souls led to the foot of the cross today. So fill me with thy power and thy wisdom. We rest in thee alone. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we have considered in previous weeks, the opening 12 verses of this chapter has the Holy Spirit drawing to our attention certain characteristics that are essential in leadership. That's kind of how we framed it, the qualities or characteristics of Christian leadership because what we have in the opening 12 verses is really the man of God, the Apostle Paul, the, perhaps the apex of Christian leadership as far as a man who was born in sin and shapen in iniquity and yet by the power of the gospel has his heart transformed and begins to live a completely different life. He brings before our minds the characteristics that were evident in his life and in his ministry amongst those in this particular church. So far, we've considered a number of qualities that can be gleaned from the opening six verses as Paul mounts a defense of his labor in this particular city. Verses 1 and 2, we looked at predominantly boldness because as he recognizes, he went into that place. It was not in vain. It was not empty. But there was a reason for that because even in spite of suffering at Philippi, prior to come to Thessalonica, He was bold, bold. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. An essential characteristic if one is to be preaching the word of God. There's also truthfulness in verses 3 and 4. Again there, there's no deceit in his exhortation. There's no uncleanness. There's no immorality of motive. There's no guile. But as we were allowed of God, verse 4, to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. As God commanded us to speak, that's what we say. We speak truthfully. We speak honestly. There's no, there's no kind of trying to deceive. There's no dishonesty, which he elaborates more in verses 5 and 6 where we uh, entitled that as a matter of integrity. There's boldness, truthfulness, and integrity. Verse 5, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. We It wasn't for others. There's integrity of motive, of heart, of our intention when we came to you. Now each of these qualities, boldness, truthfulness, and integrity, are strongly tied to the initial presentation of the gospel. When a Christian stands before another individual to share the gospel with them, these things are important. In fact, we might say they are vital. To stand before a Christ rejector, a Christ hater, a Christ denier, someone who doesn't believe, requires a measure of boldness, does it not? I mean, that's, that's, what you, that's why you shy away. That's why you second guess yourself. That's why you, you, you think, I should say something here, but you kind of have a, that sense of fear that, you're, is this the right time? How will they respond? Will they appreciate it? And what you need to overcome is this characteristic, this quality of boldness, which the Holy Spirit gives. But not only that, when you're bold and you speak, well, you want it to be truthful. And what you say, being truthful, you want there to be integrity about everything that you say as well. And so you can tie these all together. Without boldness, the gospel is not shared at all. Without truthfulness, the wrong message is shared. And without integrity, the wrong motive is behind the message. And so you bring them all together and you say, these qualities are essential for the initial proclamation of the gospel and the continued instruction in the gospel as a man preaches the word of God to another. But in verse 7, it switches somewhat and Paul begins to focus his uh, his, his attention not simply upon the presentation of the gospel, not predominantly upon his preaching ministry, but to his pastoral ministry. He begins to tell us what it was like to be around the apostle when He wasn't preaching. (laughs) Or what kind of man he was as he was preaching generally, as he would mingle among the people of God and live amongst them and and seek to instruct them and encourage them, perhaps on a more one-to-one basis. What kind of man was Paul? Certainly he was bold. Certainly he was truthful. Certainly he was a man of integrity. And that was evident when he proclaimed the gospel. But what other kind of characteristics did he have? And this brings us then this morning to consider the matter of gentleness. Gentleness. Verse 7 begins with this. And you can see it right through verse 9 specifically. It certainly is there to some degree. But we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. And on he goes to elaborate a little more on this aspect. And I want us then to consider this characteristic of gentleness this morning. The Lord giving us His help we trust. First note with me Paul's example. Paul's example in this. In the opening language of verse 7. But we were Gentle. We were gentle. Of course, it's not just him, it's all those that were with him, but he is speaking here himself. We were gentle among you. Now, the words we were don't seem to be very much at all, and yet in the form that they're used here, it's found only eight times in the New Testament. Five of the occurrences, of the eight occurrences in the New Testament, five of them are in the opening two chapters of this letter. Now, when I noticed that, I thought, well, I need to pause and just consider. What's the significance there? What's the significance of using that particular construction of word in the way that he uses it five times here? And what way was it used elsewhere in the New Testament? Well, elsewhere, we'll begin there. You find it first in Romans chapter 9 verse 29 where Paul quotes from Isaiah and he says, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been like unto Gomorrah. So he's He's saying we were, or we had been, as Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what we were, would have been like unless the Lord had left us a sea. That's what Isaiah has said. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Therefore I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. For we were made, there's the word again, we were made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. And then finally, in the other portions, we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, being defamed, we entreat, we were made, there's the word, we were made as the filth of the world and are the offscarring of all things unto this day. Now, you take all that together, and what you see is that his use of the word indicates something that is visible, that what we wear was evident. So, unless the Lord had stayed with us, it would have been evident that we would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And unless the Lord was again, uh, when He puts it about the apostles, again, the way they were looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, it was evident that they were made a spectacle unto the world. That was that was plain to be seen. And then later in that chapter, He said it was evident they were made as the filth of the world and the offscarring of all things unto this day. So when He uses this particular word that we find here in this letter of Paul, 1 Thessalonians. Five times, he he is saying this was evident, this was manifest. Now, we come then to the letter and the use of it in this particular letter. It's first found in verse 5 of chapter 1, when he, in fact, is used twice there, where he says, Our gospel came, there's the word, it's the same word, not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. So it came, and he goes on and says, As ye know what manner of men we wear, there it is again, we wear among you for your sake. So you see, this was evident. The gospel came in a very evident way. It came in power. And what they wear, the manner of men they wear, again, was very evident. It could be seen. It's not just something being said. If you look at uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, you'll see it there as well, where it says, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covenants, God is witness. So again, he uses it here, where he's saying, used we, there's the word, used we, flattering words. It was evident, again, manifest, we weren't using flattering words. And then in verse 7, where we're looking at, but we were gentle. And then verse 10 is the other occasion, where it says, we behaved ourselves. We behaved ourselves among you that believed. So, your witnesses. Now, you see how it's all tied to this. And we've made mention of this before, that frequently what the Apostle Paul does in this letter says, you know, you know. And your, your witnesses, verse 10 of chapter 2. So, he, he draws to their attention things that they were aware of. And so, the construction of this particular word is emphasizing something that was plainly manifest. Now, when you come then to verse 7, and you read it again, understanding, we were gentle among you, The sense is this, and I think this needs to be underlined. Paul's not telling them now, we were gentle among you. And this is why I wanted to point this out, because that's how I initially read it. We were gentle among you. But he's actually enforcing the fact that it was evident that we were gentle among you. That's the way he's used the word elsewhere. That's the way he's used it every other time. And that's how it's being used here. It was manifest. You know. Again, he's essentially saying, you know that we were gentle when we were with you. Now this gentleness that was so evident, as I say, it wasn't just Paul, it was those that were with him. But when we think of Paul specifically, we know that he could be sharp at times. He certainly stood against the Apostle Peter on an occasion when the the heart of the gospel was at stake. And so he, he wasn't a man to back down when Judy called for it. He would say something, he would speak when he had to speak. And so he manifested that as well very clearly in his ministry. But, but, here, as he mingled among these new converts, with his passionate pleas and his strong arguments toward them, it was mixed with an evident, gentle spirit. We were gentle among you. Now, it's always tempting for any leader to not be gentle. It is. It doesn't matter whether it's the family context, dealing with parents, or whether it's in the workplace and you're dealing with middle management or those who run the place, there's always a temptation, also in the church, a temptation for those in a place of authority to just say, I don't need to be gentle, I can just say what I like, I'm in a place of authority and I can just tell you how I feel. That's the temptation. And again, you can see it at the end of verse 6. We might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He's saying this is what we may have done, given our office. We may have been a burden and we may have laid upon you demands as the apostles, but we didn't. Now you see the contrast then between what he could have been as an apostle and what he was. Instead, in verse 7, we were gentle among you. Instead of bringing to bear our authority and our position upon you, we took the approach of being gentle. And I think this is very striking. The temptation avoid gentleness in places of authority, whether in the home or in the workplace or in the church, is a very real one. The temptation is to fight fire with fire, especially whenever there's opposition. When there's someone who's coming against you. When there's someone who won't listen. When there are people who won't come alongside you and get on board, as it were. And yet, he's able to say, we were gentle among you. And we might rightly say, Timothy would have learned this gentleness from the Apostle Paul as well. He would have learned that. And yet, years later, years later, in fact, we should turn to it, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to him and he instructs him again concerning this quality. Timothy, now, Paul's not going to be there, Paul's ready to be offered. And Timothy is being left in charge of the work of God without Paul being there. At the end of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 though he had had the example put before him, Paul reminds him. Paul reminds him, again, because the temptation would be to not be gentle. Now look at verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive. The idea is being contentious. He shouldn't be a contentious man. But, be gentle unto all men. That's inferred there. All men. Gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him as well. Now, I want you to note, go back to verse 24, look at it, look at it very carefully. What is the quality that we put a great emphasis upon in the servants of the Lord? Their ability to teach. They have to be able to teach. And this is there. It's in Scripture. It's in the qualifications of an elder. He has, he has to have the apt to teach. It's necessary. But here, as Paul instructs Timothy, and it's in the context of dealing with individuals that are opposing Opposing authority, imposing, uh, opposing instruction, and, but doing harm to themselves, because that's what he says, they oppose themselves. They're, they're standing in their own way. They're opposing their own growth in grace, because the assumption is these people know the Lord. But Paul points this out, and I want you to notice this, because, again, we put great emphasis upon the ability to teach, and this should be convicting to everyone who sees themselves, I'm qualified to preach, or be a church leader because I can handle the Word. Very good. Look what Paul says. The servant of the Lord must not strive. He shouldn't be contentious. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing. Do you see that the natural ability or the, the capability to handle the Word, there's mention of that, well, if you include verse 25, instructing those, but that comes, stems out of apt to teach. But he couches it in characteristics of of the person, of the man, the way he handles himself, the way he handles other people, the way he deals with them, his whole personality as he would present the truth. Who is it that's bringing it? And the man who brings the word, the man who handles the word, can't be a contentious man. He has to be a gentle man. You see that? Gentle unto all and patient forbearing and meekness. As well, there in verse 25. I think that is striking. Because when you're dealing with someone who is doing great harm to themselves, and they're believing something that's incorrect, either about themselves or about someone else, or whatever it might be, whatever the context, you think that I just need to get the right argument. I just need to present the right thing before them. If I go to them and I speak to them, as long as it's true and as long as it's right, then everything will be well. No, no. No, a big part, a huge part even of your ability to teach, and if we include in the ability the actual effectiveness of the teaching, the effectiveness of the teaching hinges upon a man not being contentious, being gentle, being patient, being meek. Paul's basically piling terms upon one another that are very much interconnected. It's your manner in dealing with those that your natural inclination is to be impatient. And your natural way is to to be contentious with them because of the trouble they're causing themselves, their family, or even beyond. But the servant of the Lord shouldn't be like this. But be gentle, gentle unto all. This is a quality that should not be missed. I say this even... As an elder, when you think of young men who come to you, and they, I think it was Lloyd-Jones who talked about the, the responsibility of the local church as the first step before a man ever enters into ministry. That he is sent into his seminary or his Bible college on the recommendation of his session. And the recommendation then of the session is an essential part of the process. And they cannot get it into their head that we just want to send forth a lot of men. We just send as many men as possible. Lloyd-Jones put it, he has to be a man who can work with other people. I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's the sense of it. If he can't work with other people, do not put him into the ministry. If he's a contentious character, if he, if he is not gentle and patient, if, he, if he's showing those kind of qualities, he is not fit for the pastorate. You may put him in other contexts, in other places. But do not, it doesn't matter how skilled he is in the Word, if he cannot work with people, don't let him near the pulpit. Don't let him near a place of authority. Now this is is so important. You see, these things don't come out really until difficulties arise. It's when difficulties arise that you see the genuine person. You see the real man, but the, the elders in the context I'm Saying here, before they ever get into college or seminary, they need to discern, is this man a reasonable man? <laughs> is this young man the kind of person that gets on with others? Or is he always fighting? Is he always, is he always arguing? Is he always debating finer points of doctrine and, and gets some kind of kick out of being right? Is that it? Does he just like being right? He's this tremendous head on his shoulders, He's read the church fathers. He's gone through all of church history. He is filled. He's filled with all this knowledge. But he just executed it in a way that is unpalatable. In a way that grates other people. In the manner that people do everything to avoid him. I have met people like this. Their heads are filled. I mean, there's not a matter, there's not a person in church history you couldn't mention they wouldn't have read about or have some understanding of talk about them I mean, about historical theology, they, they've read it. They know. But as, as a person, as a person, people, you, you, they, they avoid that person. They don't want anything to do with them. Well, they'll, they'll be polite and pass themselves, but this is, this is so important. I emphasise it because I think there is a, a tendency there's a tendency within churches that are determined to stand for the truth that they they don't require themselves to be gentle in how they do it. And that's that's a grave error. A grave error. There are things that need to be stood for. There, are God's Word. You need to you stand upon it and be, and be firm about everything that it says and it teaches. But your manner, your manner is vital. You're not going to win people simply by being right. I wonder how many, how many good churches, sound churches, Fundamental churches have driven people away not because of the things that they say but because of their manner. Their manner. Just And again, this is, this is pastorally. This is when Paul went in there and he preached. What was his manner when he went and preached? He, he, he spoke unto the God. Look at verse 2. If you go back there, first Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. In the midst of contention. So he, with the Jews opposing him, Paul would stand firm. Standing there in the synagogue or in the marketplace, this wasn't some kind of person he could just blow over with a, with a puff of wind. Would come. Up. This was a, strong, he was a strong man. A firm man. A bold man. A courageous man. And when the Jews would come and try to threaten him and stop him, he could not be stopped. There was a firmness in his character. But when he came alongside the converts, and that's when you're coming to verse 7, we were gentle among you. When he came alongside them, when you got to know him, it was a different person altogether. The first person that came to mind when I thought about this was was Dr. Paisley. Because so many times, because of of the way he would declare the truth, just the way he would declare it, oh, people would insinuate from that that he was a harsh man. And you could not get a more gentlemanly-like character in your home. You sit alongside of all the Free Church ministers I have ever met. None has been more of an encourager than Dr. Paisley. He was—he was an encourager. He would sit, before I went to Australia, he wanted to see me, and I went in along, sat in a little room with him and another minister, and he just—the only reason he wanted to see me was to encourage me. He was—he was gentle. He was a big gentleman. Who just wanted to encourage God's people. And was always about the business of being a Barnabas. And yet you see him in the pulpit thundering the word of God forth. You could insinuate things. You could assume things. You could imagine he was some kind of harsh character. But you would be completely wrong. And it was the same with Paul. Paul would come in. He would be straight. He would be direct. He is preaching that Christ. The the Christ that is looked for by the Jew is indeed this Jesus of Nazareth. Arguing from the Scriptures, boldly, courageously, every day. But when you got alongside Him, we were gentle among you. Gentle. Now, is this the way Paul always was? (laughs) The Pharisee of the Pharisees spent his time breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. I doubt it. I doubt it. I imagine that Paul would have been hard to cope with before his conversion. If you weren't, if you proclaimed, if you testify, if you if you confessed to be a Pharisee, I imagine it would have been quite uncomfortable to be in the presence of Paul, or Saul as he was then, because he was so precise, so precise. And if you were off, I can just see him. I can just, I just, I think, just the natural tendency of his personality. The precision with which he sought to, as touching the law, blameless. I imagine him to have required it of others as well. So what happened? What happened? Well, he got converted. He was born again of the Spirit. This ma- and this, this, this throws out any idea when someone has, that's just my personality. If your personality is in opposition to the will of God for your life, you need to repent of your personality. It can't remain that way simply, well, you don't know, my father was like this, my grandfather was like this, they were all contentious men. I don't know whether they proclaim to be a Christian, but if you do, you need to change. You need to change. You need to be a gentle man. Your manner needs to be a gentle manner, not harsh Not the kind of person that's difficult to bear with, but a gentleman. Paul, this giant, both before his conversion and after, when the Lord Jesus got his heart, there was no arguing for his personality. There was no trying to say, well, that's just the way I am. Everything, absolutely every part of his whole nature, got put to death. If it was not in line with the will of Christ, we were gentle among you. We need to be gentle. We need to remember, especially as we're dealing with our young, our young people, and that, that's that's the context here. He is dealing with a new a, a new church. These are new believers, new converts. They may be. Older in age, we don't know what age they all are, but, but they're new believers. And that, that, that kind of spirit that, that looks at young people and sees every fault, that can't commend them for the good and be thankful for the, the positive in them, that is so destructive. It's so destructive. Some young person, coming, there's, I don't know what it is, there's some little thing that just bugs you. Because they haven't, they haven't seen it that way or learned of it. They haven't grown. They haven't matured yet. But you just have to come in there and you just have to point out the error. Now, if, it, if it's a serious matter, then point it out. But even, even there, use tact. Come in and commend them for all that's good. And then say, in this area, have you ever considered this or whatever? Be tactful In Titus chapter three, verse two, Paul writes Speak evil of no man, be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And you see that? <clears throat> there's there's a gentlemanly like characteristic, it's to all it's to awe. Don't speak evil of any man. Don't go around speaking evil of men. Again, there are times, there are certain scenarios where you have to say something about an evil that's going on or an error that's being propagated or whatever. There are times. There are times. There are seasons. But they are small and far more narrow than many realize. Speak evil of no man. We've got to the stage where... If we do not know dirt on someone, but we suspect it, we'll Google for it. We'll, we'll try and find something. Find dirt on people. And I wish, I wish that those that are in the habit of that would just take half a minute and read what the larger catechism says about the ninth commandment. That desire to find dirt on other people, to scrape away everything, to, to try and find something that you can hold against them. It is not the Spirit of God. Speak evil of no man, be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. James 3.17 But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy, I have no time to spend on these verses. First Peter 2.18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. You see, the man is not gentle as forward. He's bent all out of shape. He's crooked and he's warped. There have been those kind of men in history. There have been those kind of men in history. You know how they die? Alone. They do. And on their dying bed, they will still proclaim the reasonableness of their position and the whys and wherefores as to why they carried out their ministry the way they did. but they die alone. It is not Christ's likeness beloved. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Think of it. 2 Corinthians. These Corinthians are opposing him, or some of them are being led astray to think wrongly of the Apostle Paul. What's his manner? Well, it's direct. He speaks the truth. But... I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I have learned this from the Lord. I have learned this from the Lord. Gentleness exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was gentle. The Lord Jesus was a gentleman. In the true sense of the word. Again, not in the sense that he had no ability to stand up for what was right when duty would call for it. There was never a more fearless man that ever lived. But he was gentle. Gentle. Think, think, think of how he dealt with his disciples. Yes, he upbraided them for their unbelief. <laughs> right at the end, after years of instructing them, encouraging them, teaching them, discipling them, and he upbraids them for their unbelief, but he doesn't decommission them. He doesn't. He upbraids them for their unbelief, but he continues to commission them, go and preach the gospel. To every creature. Being mild, being fair, being a reasonable man, a reasonable woman. This is Paul's example. We were gentle among you. Don't forget it, beloved. Secondly, Paul's equivalent is equivalent. He draws an equivalence here. In verse 7, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. A nurse. Now the idea is not that of an employed nurse, but a nursing mother. Paul's manner towards the converts was as a mother nursing her sucking children. Attentive, caring, gentle, seeing all of their needs and, and tending to every need that they had. Even as a nurse cherisheth. That word cherisheth is very interesting. It has the idea not just of loving, but it has the imagery of brooding. Keeping warm the little chicks. Gathering them all around her to protect them and to keep them warm. Thomas Coke, who was a friend of John Wesley, in fact, he he met with George Washington, as I understand, twice. But he said this, We not only gave up our own just rights, but considered you as our children. This is how he, he's kind of elaborating on Paul's words here in this text. We not only gave up our own just rights, but considered you as our children, and cherished you in your infant state, as a hen cherisheth her brood under her wings, or as a tender and affectionate mother nurseth her own helpless infant. End quote. You see the imagery? Cherishing? The word is used in one other place. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, where the, Paul says there, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. So a man cares for his own body. He nourishes it and he cherishes it. He keeps it warm. He keeps it warm. A man does his own self-brooding, as it were. He protects himself, cares for himself. That's what we do. We don't hate our own flesh. As the Lord the church, the Lord does this for His church as well. He nourishes And cares for it. But how do new converts, young believers, those young in the faith, learn that? How did they learn that? By the caring and brooding of the church, especially leaders in the church. Their parents play into this as well, of course. But the leaders in the church are important. Even as a nurse cherishes her children. This is Paul coming alongside new believers. Those young in the faith, he comes right alongside them. There's such a need for attention upon the young, upon those that are, 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 let's say, more susceptible to wavering and being lost. And this is why one of the, one of the, the only burden really, the, the primary burden I had when I, when I went to Calgary was to start a young people's group of the teens and young adults and get them into the home. And get them in. And we got them in every other Friday night. Because they would hear me preach. They would come and they would hear me preach. And that was fine. They would sit there. They would listen and be instructed. But I, I, I felt that there's need to get them closer. Because they're, they're so fragile. There's so much in this world that's opposing them. Few of them even come from generally young people today. They don't even come from... Ideal family life. And so you're, you're teaching them some of the things that they, they should have been learning as a child growing up, but you're teaching them more. And the only way to do that is for them to know you outside the pulpit. And the best way, or the only way I knew how was, Melanie, let's get them into the home. Get them into the home. We'll open the Word of God and we'll provide food and have fellowship with them. And the Lord honored that. He so honored that. Because those, those young people, they... they they realized, I didn't have to tell them that my wife and I loved them. It was the Friday night after Friday night after Friday night after Friday night after constant, constant coming into the home and being there for them. Cherishing them as a nurse, cherishes their children, gathering them in near to you. And when the time would come where, yes, in their early years as a Christian, there there are faults and there are failures and the and they make a mess of things and they don't get it right all the time and they have much to learn. And when there is, there is that need at times, the occasion to come and say a word, they, they trust the man who's saying it. They know. They know you care. Far too many that go about trying to correct others invest no time in those they try to correct. Except the time it takes to tear them apart. There has to be a gentleness. I'll tell you, it's encouraging. When when you get the feedback, because people come, you meet each other all the time. We don't say everything that we feel about each other every time we see each other. So there's a sense in which you pour out your heart into someone's life or into young people. They don't leave every Friday night and say, you know, show their appreciation in in language and words. And you don't look for it either. But it was by coming here that you realized just what it meant to them. And how the Lord used it. Gentle, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You want to gather them in near to you. Get the young people close. Get the young convert close. And be as attentive to that individual as as a nursing mother to her children. That's hard work. Any mother here knows how, how difficult it is. Every whimper, everything's dropped to run, to tend to that child. You drop everything. The slightest discomfort, little, the tiniest little problem, the nursing mother needs to drop. No one else can do what she does. And she can't delay. She can't sit down and reason with the child. Could you just wait 10 minutes? Could you just hold on there? Could you wait a little later in the day? I haven't scheduled it. You don't have that. You have to prioritize that infant over everything else. And this is how Paul cared for the believers at Thessalonica. He prioritized them over everything else. The Lord had the same care. It's manifest in a very sad way, over those who wouldn't receive that care. Remember when he looked over Jerusalem, Luke 13, verse 34. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. The Lord looked over Jerusalem. He saw the need of the city. And over centuries, what did He do? Prophet after prophet after prophet. In fact, if you go to Second Chronicles chapter 36, you can see there how the Lord, as kind of mentioned there, the last king, how it's referred to, the Lord was constantly sending his prophets, rising up and speaking to His people out of the love and mercy and affection the Lord had to his people. And now the Lord stands over Jerusalem. How often would I have gathered you? I would have gathered you. I, I, there's a sense it's not just the humanity of the Lord Jesus and His ministry there in Jerusalem, but it, it's going way back. It's, it's Him as the Son of God in all of His ministry through His prophets down through the ages. I would have gathered you. I would have gathered you time and time again. You would not. You would not. And this is a sad... The sad reality in the church, even with the most gentle character and nature you try to gather souls in, they will not. I trust there are none here this morning where effort is made through parents and Sabbath school teachers and the preaching from the pulpit. Effort is made to gather you under the wings of the Lord. That there's a nursing, a nursing, like a nursing mother caring for you. Those in your life that love the Lord Jesus Christ are trying to nurse you in, in to, into the Lord. To close in with the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to obey the Lord, to live for the Lord. They're, they're, they're trying to disciple you in. And you resist it. And you oppose it. And you, you're tempted to walk away. I trust, dear God, please, let it not be said of any. A man may not want to liken himself to a nursing mother, but Paul has no problem with it. He has no problem with it whatsoever. His pastoral ministry, he sees it like that, an equivalent. A nursing mother cherishing her children. Beloved, we all play a part in this. We all play a part in this. The whole tenor of our church, the whole tenor of the ministry of this congregation needs to have a care about it. All of us in all of our individual efforts complementing and supplementing one another. That children come along, they're instructed by their parents, they're, they're loved by their parents, they're cared for by their parents. But when they come to church, it's not contradictory. There's the there's supplementing of the life of other believers. It all comes together. It all has to come together so that there's care shown and genuine love expressed. Again, don't interpret this as meaning that you've no fight in you. That to be gentle means you're a man unwilling to fight. <laughs> Ask yourself the question: What's a mother prepared to do if her, the lives of her children are under threat? She will put her own life on the line. You will see. You will see a godly aggression. You will see that. Tenacious, unrelenting, prepared to lay down everything to preserve the life of the child. Paul was similar. Someone came to try and affect the church, impact the church, do wrong to the church. He was straight in there. I mean, why is he writing this letter? Why is he writing this letter? Is it not in part because of negative influences? Is it not in part because of things that he needs to address and instruct them? He's trying to come in there. And help as the church goes through its growing pains and early struggles. And the Lord is the same. Remember when he said the Lord Jesus in John chapter ten, verse twenty eight, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Is there not that sense where the Lord Himself is like that nurse cherishing his children? Yes, he spoke of Jerusalem, they wouldn't gather under the wings. They wouldn't come. They wouldn't come near. But those that do come, those that come, they're, they're like in His hand. And none, none can pluck them out of His hand. Well, to us, that's extremely comforting. And we look at it as believers We say, thank, thank the Lord. We're in His hand. None can pluck us there. But what if you're an opposing force? The language of the Lord Jesus is language of aggression. Dare you try to pluck them out of my hand? Even dare it you will fail miserably. There's no possible way you will ever remove one of mine from my hand. That's the language of the Lord to the enemy. He cares for his people. Oh beloved, I, I can't finish this message today or you'll be here through lunchtime. But, we'll pick up, God willing, another time I want you to meditate a lot about this. Upon this, the need for more gentleness. I want every parent to think about permeating all of their work in the home with an attitude of gentleness. This is what we want our children to be able to say when they grow older. This is our desire. When they grow up, that their general attitude, their testimony of the broad, the broad parenting they experienced right across the years, they're able to say, you were gentle with us. Or for the parent to be able to say, and know it's true, we were gentle among you. That's what you want. I want to be able to say that as a parent. I want to be able to say it as a pastor, the general tenor of the ministry. We were gentle among you. We were gentle. Even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Oh may the Lord help us and give us grace To kill to kill that contentious, ungodly, self justifying, argumentative, impatient spirit that we have. Help us to know that we have been enveloped in His gentleness, have we not? Has He not been most gentle to us? Has our Lord, do we not take our cue from the Lord in how gentle He has been time and time again? May the Lord give us grace. Let's bow together in prayer. You're here this morning and you're not saved. You're in doubt about where you stand. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus is a gentle Savior and Redeemer. Your sins may be many. they may be grievous. You may have hardened your heart and your life toward Christ time and time again. You've been indifferent, you've been callous, you've been living life according to your own terms. And the Lord has been most gentle with you. There may have been times where you feared that the wrath of God should be poured upon your head. That you shouldn't even be alive given the life that you've lived. You've tempted God to pour out His wrath upon you. But He has been gentle. Come to him. Know that gentleness. Know that his wrath has been put away by the sacrifice of Christ. And he will be gentle to you throughout all time and into eternity. Our Father, we pray that thou wilt help us. I pray for my own heart. Pray God that thou wilt help help me to be more and more and more gentle. I pray for that kind of attentiveness toward especially the young the young and the faith the new believer, the struggling believer, the weak, the immature. I pray God that thou wilt give that gentle, patient, meek heart that will go after them. Not to tear them apart, but to lead them into the arms of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that Thou wilt knit my heart with this congregation. Knit my heart especially with the young. I pray, God, that Thou wilt help the love of Christ to abound in me and through me. And through all the oversight of this church and every single member of this congregation. We pray that it may be said... In our homes, in our workplaces, and in our church, we were gentle among you. We pray, God, that thou wilt instill this in us. We feel our weakness. We are prone to be sharp. We're prone to berate. We're prone to be harsh. God, give us more of thy gentleness. We would be conformed more to the image of thy Son. Help us then this day. Thou has convicted our hearts. Let us have the grace to repent. And may Thy power to, in our lives enable us to change. If there be those here this morning that have been subject to harshness, that has driven them away from the Lord Jesus, we pray that Thou art of mercy, we pray that they will come, even though the example has not been perfect, even though the representation of Christianity has been Not what it ought to be. We pray that those harmed by harshness will not hold on to that and run all the way into hell holding that grudge. May they see the gentle meekness of our Lord Jesus and come to him today. Hear our prayer. Bless our fellowship and conversation. Take us to our homes in safety. Bless our afternoon. May we return here tonight to be blessed and encouraged worship and to praise thy holy name and enjoy fellowship one with another. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.